become your backup plan tribe to this week's podcast on grief. I can't believe this topic that we always seem to touch on. It touches all of us in so many, so many ways. And I want to welcome all of you today on our podcast. It's an amazing day to talk about something that touches all of us at some point in time and sometimes when we're very, very young. And sometimes we're lucky that it only occurs later in life. But anyways, our topic today is going to be superb. Um, welcome to your backup plan tribe to this week's ch uh, channel. If you haven't liked, shared, and subscribed, please do so down here below. I always try and figure out which corner that the subscribe button is in. Um, my name is Tina Ginn. I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author, a financial expert, and an app developer of Your Backup Plan app. And I'm located here in beautiful Vancouver, BC. Um, I interview real-life people each and every week with their real-life stories on our podcast and our live streams as well. So if you haven't liked, shared, and subscribed our stories to any of your friends and family, please do. I'm sure there's a tip or a trick in there somewhere for you. Your Backup Plan app puts your life in one place in preparation of any unpredictable circumstance while taking the painful aftermath out of any tragedy. And I would like to bring on Sherry Dunlevy. She is from beautiful West Virginia, and I am so happy to have her on today with us. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Tina. How are you today? I'm good in the sunshine for our beautiful April, spring kind of weather. <laughs> How is it there? It's it's the same, you know, some some days the sun shines and it's warm and some days the sun shines and it's cold, but most days it's gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Seattle, Vancouver, you know, the Pacific yeah. West Coast is kind of the same. I am so excited to have Sherry on today. She is a number one best-selling author, a speaker, a podcast host, and a business owner, of course. Um, she has graduating grief podcast with Sherry Dunlevy. And most people remember her as Sherry, the host of Jamboree in the Hills, or the broadcast on WKKX AM 1600 radio show, or as your nightly news anchor on NBC WTOV9. A lot has changed since her days in broadcasting. And now after 50 she has totally reinvented her life and her life's purpose and work. I'm so thankful to have you come on today, Sherry. Thank you for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure. That was quite the introduction. Oh. I've lived a lot of life in these years. <laughs> well, you're amazing. And I'm, I appreciate you coming out today to tell us all about what's happened in your life and how it's really come into where you're at today. Yes. Thank you. Well, you know, it all started back when I was on television and I 
was fortunate enough to have my television career at one station. So I literally started out of college. And so the audience watched me fall in love, get engaged. Um, they celebrated, you know, with me when at my wedding, there were cameras there. As soon as I had my first son, cameras were in the hospital. I mean, they they welcomed me as a member of their family into their living rooms every, every weekday. And, um, and then my husband and I were pregnant with our second son and something along the way went through uh, our first ultrasound. We found out that there were going to be complications and I didn't really make it public to the audience, but um, I started having complications with the pregnancy and had to go on bed rest. So then we had to kind of explain to them what was going on. And um, as it would have my, my son, um, was born and immediately whisked away in critical condition and lived for 29 days. Um, and uh, it was just up and down. And then my audience grieved with me. Um, so here I was planning, you know, being a family of four and now all of a sudden we're a family of three. And it was amazing how many people lifted us up and loved us through this time. But at the same time, there were some people who just kind of dropped out of our lives. And um, it wasn't until six years later that um, one of these people, and all three of these people were, were very close friends. They were in our wedding, as a matter of fact. Um, and six years later, one of them called and just wanted to catch up. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Like I was devastated and you weren't there for me. You know, I wasn't angry, but I was curious. Like, why would that yeah. happen? Yeah. Like, why would people abandon you when you most need them? And so that started the thinking and the journey toward writing my book, How Can I Help? But honestly, the thought process started at six years, but it probably took another six years to actually get up the courage to write the book. But during those years, I figured out it was three things. Um, either it was so close to home that it was just so painful and frightening to even think about you losing your child, right? And so you're thinking about your perspective, not theirs. And so you just can't even think about it. So you can't even go there and offer help. Or it's that you don't know. You've never had you know, a loss in your life or it's never been modeled for you. Uh, or the third thing, which I think is most common is people desperately want to do or say something, but they're afraid they're going to make you cry. They're afraid it's going to be the wrong thing. And so they just don't know what to do and they don't know what to say. And part of the reason why is because we don't talk about these things because these things make us uncomfortable. So, um, I just kept thinking during this time, this is why this must happen. Why isn't there anything out there to teach people what to do and what to say? And so I would look for it. I'd Google it. I'd go on Amazon. I'd walk in bookstores. And every time I would walk out and I would hear, you can look for it all you want, but until you create it, it's not going to exist. And I'm like, but I don't write books. I write news copy. You know, <laughs> I, I don't do that. That's not what I do. And um, then finally, when I said, okay, I'll do it, um, all, the, all the parts started coming into place, the how-tos. Just once I, you know, was open to the challenge, I don't know how to do this, but I'll do it. I'll take the first step. 
and then the doors just started opening. So this book is something that I wrote, but it is not, they're not my, just my ideas. My story, my story is in it to explain why I have the book, but I used my skills as a television reporter to interview people who have, you know, gone through the worst losses. And I asked them, how did your friends and family lift you up? How did they carry you through? What did they do specifically? What was most helpful? What was most unique that stuck with you all these years later? And then what was not so helpful? I don't want to say right or wrong, because in my opinion, if you step out and even if you say something awkward or do something awkward, mm -hmm. it's better than not doing anything at all because your intention is to love and to help and support. Right. So, you know, in that journey, I and so it's not just death. It's a diagnosis of cancer where some people have had cancer patients tell me as soon as I told my friends I had cancer, they, they, they felt like it was contagious. They, oh, run. they run, yeah. they run, go run. as fast um, as they can the other direction. Yeah. Or when we got our divorce, they chose sides and they abandoned me. You know, we were friends all these years and they, they chose the other side and then I was left alone. Um, and I was, but why? but why do people choose the other side? That's the big question. <laughs> I, I, or pick I, a side, like right, why? Right, I I don't know that. I don't know that because you you know what do they say? There's always there's three sides to every story. Um, their side, your side, and then the truth. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so usually we're only hearing one side. But for whatever reason it is, it happens, and so. I just want to, I don't want to point the finger at people saying, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. You should be saying this. I want to gently guide them into, look, your friend needs you. What kind of friend do you want to be? Do you really want to run the other way? Because if you run the other way, they will notice. And you're probably ending your friendship with this decision. You're probably ending it. So, um, you know, that's when I started stepping into, you know, Sherry Dunleavy, the author, and promoting this book. And, uh, and, and, and Sherry Dunleavy had to become a business owner so that she could pay for this book. <laughs> right? Because I had left my television career and, um, and went home to really raise my, my three-year-old. He was three at the time, my oldest son. And, um, and so I took a job in radio. And so I just was away from home two hours a day for my show. And I did all the prep work at home. So um, as it came time to start promoting this book, I had to, you know, I couldn't afford to publish it on a part-time radio gig, right? So I had to start another business and, um, and earn the money to publish the book. But, you know, that allowed me to learn and grow in so many other ways and actually positioned me to find my editor who she wrote five of the chicken soup for the soul books and she edit chose my book to edit. So, you know, it all worked out the way it was supposed to, but I'm really proud of this book because it is that guide that everyone needs. Everyone needs to read this book, but it's the book that when your friend is in trouble, they really need you to have this information. They really they need sure. you to have this information. Mm -hmm. They sure do. Yeah. I just had a friend today reach out to me and she said, 
my friend's daughter just had a miscarriage and I just don't know what to do or, or what to say. What are some things that, that I can send her to comfort her? And I said, well, first of all, do you have a copy of my book? <laughs> because there are a lot of ideas in here, but why don't you start here? <laughs> yes. And I think that's the most common question that I've ever had to me as well. What do I say and what do I do? I want to help. What do I say? Right. Nobody knows. Well, here's the first, here's the first thing that I'm going to say to everyone listening and it should let you breathe a sigh of relief. There are no perfect words that are going to make everything better, right? It, it, there are no words that can be said or spoken um, that can fix this, okay? But there are words that can add comfort and support and love. And some of those words are, I'm here for you. I'll walk with you through this. Do you need me to be there? I'm praying for you. I'm, I, and I always just say, I'm so deeply sorry for you're suffering right now. The, the pain that you're experiencing, I'm here. I, I always tell people, my, I'm here with an ear to listen and a shoulder to cry on if you need me. And I don't stop there because when people are in the initial stages of grief, they don't even know what they don't want to, you know, some people need people there all the time and other people just kind of like, I've got to process this. I, I don't even know what's going on, but I I always reach out in a way that I'll leave a voicemail. They can listen to it when they're ready. And I leave no expectation for a return call. I don't want a return call. I'll call them again and I'll call them again. And a few weeks later, I'll call them again. And eventually they will be ready. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the compassion that you have to have for the individual to allow them because you can't take it personally. They're, they're in their own space. And I think that's where a lot of problems arise is well, you're that call back. You, why aren't they calling me? They, you know, they want to. Yeah. 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 I must've said something wrong. Uh, you know, it is, here is what you have to keep in mind. It's not about you. You, your job is a friend to offer love, care and support. And the shoulder. And a shoulder. And just, to let them know that they're not walking this path alone. They may need some time alone, right? Yeah. But you're there to remind them, I'm still here for you. I'm still thinking of you. I'm still sending love your way. I'm still sending, you know, prayers your way. When you're ready, if you're ready, I'm here. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, what other kind of questions have you come up with, I mean, you've had your own experiences as well. Um, but what would you say was probably one of the worst, what not to do? <laughs> well, I don't say what not, not worse, but people, people, um, I say not so helpful. And the only reason I say that and some people get don't agree. Not everybody agrees with me and that's fine because grief is everybody's individual journey. Right. But to me, um, I'll give you an example. Um, we did not have a viewing for my son, but we did have a funeral mass 
And uh, one of the young reporters that I worked with, just fresh out of college, must have known that at some point um, I must send a plant, I must send a flower. But there was no viewing at the funeral home. So we're leaving mass, we're getting into the limousine, heading to the cemetery, and he's standing outside the, the limousine with a potted plant. And he hands me this potted plant, right? Now, by all stretches of, you know, what's proper, is that the right thing to do? Um, no, it's not, right? But it was the fact that he wanted to do something to ease my suffering, right? To cheer me up. That brings tears to my eyes 22 years later, right? Was it the right thing technically? No. no. Did I feel love and support? Absolutely. So that's what I'm saying. Even if it's awkward, we as grievers have to give people the grace to show up even awkwardly. If they say they're in a better place, we can't take that personally. They're just trying to come up with some words that they think are going to help soothe us, you know? And, um, and so I really try to, th that message to the grievers is have some grace with these people because at least they're showing up and not running the other way. Not everyone agrees with me and that's fine. But what I like to say is this is something, Tina, that all of us say and have said, and I still have to keep myself from saying, if there's anything I can do, please let me know, right? And we mean it. We yeah. mean this, right? But what's not so helpful about that is you're putting it in their court. And right now you're making, you're giving them a task. <laughs> you're telling them, well, you know, I'll help you, but you just got to let me know what to do. Um, they don't even know what day it is. They might not have even eaten. And I always say this, if you have like people that have had traditional roles in life, okay, women take care of the inside of the house, men take care of the outside of the house, and the woman loses her husband, she might not know until three weeks later that, oh, I need someone to mow the grass because she's never had to deal with that, right? Yeah. Or the man who loses his wife. I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to do laundry, you know? So they don't know what they don't know right now. So I always tell people a more helpful way of saying that is, can I, and name, list three things that you're willing to do, okay? Can I run to the store? I'm running out to the grocery store. Do you need groceries? I'm I'm going to throw in some laundry. Would you like me to come over and take some of your laundry home with me? Um, can I run the kids? You know, can I take the kids to and from school? You know, can yeah. I take the kids so that, you know, you have time to go to a support meeting? Right? Because I'm hearing from a lot of widows that have children, they can't deal with their grief because they're trying to just keep their family afloat. Well, how about if you stayed with the children or took the children out to dinner so that she could go to a grief support meeting? Mm -hmm. Right. So there name three things that you're willing to do. And I say willing to do because I'll never offer to clean your house. <laughs> I won't do that. Um, but I, I will offer to, you know, send over food or take the kids to and from school or sit with the kids or take them to, you know what I'm saying? So if you don't know how to mow the lawn, obviously don't offer to mow the lawn. But I, I have seen some people, what they'll do is they'll pay for a year of mowing the lawn for that person or right. 
cleaning their house for the yes. person for six months or right. three months or a year or whatever. Yes. You know, that type of thing. If they can't personally do it themselves, right. that way they can get the job done and then still be there to be present with the person when they need that personal support. Right. Right. There, there is not a lack of things that we can do to support someone who is hurting. There's just, there's always something that we can be doing. And it's more important to do it two weeks after than it is during the whole thing, because, you know, you know, families in and funeral services and it's busy, 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 busy. And then like a week or two weeks later, it sets in. They're all yeah. alone. Who do I call? Who, what do I do? Where do I go from now? You know, one lady, I thought, I, this is not in the book, but um, when I was doing a talk one time, one lady said, you know, what I offered was um, when my girlfriend's son was in an accident and he had like a year long hospital stay. And the I was a, I was a medical bill, uh, biller, right? Coder. And she said, I said, if it's not too intrusive, to you, I would be happy to help you review your medical bills. And the woman said she just broke down and cried because that they were stacking up and she just didn't have the energy to deal with it. And that lady was her angel. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Whatever it could be. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we maybe all have something. Maybe in it's it. just a nice dessert every week. Yeah. Or or to take you out for the afternoon, right? Or to take you out for brunch, or to get away for the weekend, or right. sit by the beach, or there's so many things. Yeah, you know, that's the one thing that a lot of people who have lost spouses, or due to divorce or to death, tell me is that the invitations stop coming, or the invitations came, but they weren't ready yet, and then they just stopped. So keep it up. Keep it up. Someday they will be ready. Well, I've also noticed from the grieving aspect of it that where do all the people go? Mm -hmm. Because if if you have everybody is kind of there for the first two or three weeks and then what happens after that? Right. Nothing's right. changed in your life. You're still the same grieving person. Right. Right. <laughs> and some people just kind of dwindle away or I'm not, I'm not really sure. But like you said, you really have to come to terms with those people that come into your life and then disappear for a reason, perhaps. I'm not sure, but. Right, right. And so you just have to decide what kind of friend you want to be, right? And I really try to live my life to be a friend that shows up for someone. Um, you know, just even a Facebook message from time to time. How are you doing? I'm thinking of you just to know that someone is holding space for you at that moment, that you can start a conversation and that, you know, I'll start the conversation. And if they feel like talking, then we can go a little bit further. But if not, at least they have the presence of knowing that someone is holding space for them today. It's not forgetting their journey. Yeah. What, um, when you started your guide, your book, mm -hmm. what were some of the 
things that you ran up, up obstacles running into doing the research? What were, or, or did it just flow? Did you just keep on getting more and more stories or did it, was yeah. it a little rough at first? No, it was not rough. I mean, literally once I decided to do this, I think that people were like, everybody needs this information. Like I always say, this is the book that everyone needs to read, but it's the book that every griever wishes their friends had read, you know? Um, and someone said, this is every bit as essential as a good cookbook in someone's library. And I agree because we're all going to run into someone. You know, when I start my talks, I always say, how many know someone who's divorced? How many know someone who's been diagnosed with cancer? How many know someone who has lost their job? How many know someone who has lost, you know, a, a spouse or a child or a mother or a father? And then I'll say, how many know what to do and say when that happens? How many are left <laughs> in the audience? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. This is a, this affects everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet these are uncomfortable things because we don't like to talk about them. And so I'm thinking, okay, for some reason I have been now given this job to talk about the uncomfortable so that we can, that's the reason that we don't act and do and say the right things is because we don't practice them enough because we don't talk about them because we try to protect ourselves. We go, no, 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 I don't want to talk about that. I'll deal with it when it happens, but you're not dealing with it when it happens. You don't know what to do. No. <laughs> and right? I, I, I'm not sure how to get that through to our listeners or to individuals at any age, because something can happen to you. There's no, rhyme or reason to your color of your skin yeah. to the age you are to what you do as an occupation to what you said to your grandmother last night there's no rhyme or reason to what occurs in our lives and some of right. us get hit with big issues some of us get hit with a whole lot of little things mm -hmm. but they all are the same thing I always say to people, losing your wallet is a huge, huge emergency yeah. to a lot of people. Right. And one of it in our workshops where we put your wallet down on the counter in front of you and take a pen and a paper and say, do not look in your wallet, but tell me what's in it. You know, and this has nothing to do with grief, but it's all the same type of emergency because when something occurs, um, our adrenaline changes, mm -hmm. our vision and our focus changes. And I don't know what our bodies do, <laughs> but our brain turns off. Right. Yes. Totally turns off. Yeah. We can't focus. We can't think straight. Do not make any major decisions in your life because it's the hardest time to go to a funeral home. It's the hardest time to make decisions of what the person wanted mm -hmm. um, because you have regrets and you have, well, what did they want? And maybe you never asked them before. So, yes, yeah. I've had those conversations and I have my son will soon be 25 and we just had dinner with him. And I um, said to him, you know what? You need to tell us what to do, because if something would ever happen to you, 
Do you want to be an organ donor? Do you want to be buried? Do you want to be on life support? Do you want us to be your medical power of attorney? Because we need to know this stuff. I'm not planning on this happening, but I think that the more prepared we are, you know, and I've had this talk with my with my parents as well, right? Yeah. I know what my mom wants, um, but I need her to let all of us know what she wants because I know what she wants. But if it doesn't align with what my sister or brother think, then we can have, you know, a, a severed relationship because emotion gets involved. Right. Well, so everything we, gets involved. Yeah. And, and so I just think this is a gift we can give one another by taking care of our stuff, taking ownership of our life, and being as prepared as we possibly can, then I feel like, that's what I told my husband. My son is an only child now, and it's gonna be hard enough when he loses both of his parents. Yeah. But let's try to do as much of this for him now so that he can just grieve us, that he doesn't have to be angry because we didn't take care of this, or that he doesn't feel overburdened because now he doesn't know what to do or where to go. I mean, that's that's such added stress that we don't need to add to our loved ones. You sure don't, because you know what happens when it does happen. Mm -hmm. You know, it's I, I can't express it enough. It's like hitting a brick wall. Yes. It, th there's literally no other words for it because your life. My, my book was in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. And that's truly what changes your life in the blink of an eye. It can. It absolutely can. And, you know, that's what makes me um, know that we have to, we have to have these conversations and we have to just keep talking about it. And we almost have to be activists about it because um, even if we reach one person, <laughs> we're, we're giving peace of mind maybe to how many more, right? Well, it's who they tell and who they tell and, mm -hmm. and continue because um, it, it, I don't always mention the Your Backup Plans Emerging Blueprint program that's coming out. But in that, one of the modules is a family conversation mm -hmm. with the worksheets to sit down with your parents, with your family, with your brothers or sisters, with your partner with your family, whoever that is, or even friends, and tick off the boxes, write down the messages, and then everybody in the family knows what mom or dad wanted it right. to look like. Right. Um, because then there's no questions. There's no, I know this. No, I know that. Mm -hmm. um, there's none of that. Right. There's Someone told me something, and what you're doing is you're giving people clarity, right? You're giving them clarity. And someone said to me, clarity is kindness. It's it's such kindness. And in, in this case, it truly is. The more clear we are on this, the kinder you are to the people that you leave behind who are left to, to take care of this. Or it's not always death in my case. It could be um, the loss of your job or oh, a divorce yeah. or or cancer, or you're in a car accident and you're in a coma, 
you know, we need to be prepared because it changes those people around us as well as ourselves forever. You'll never be the same. Right. I think, you know, caregiving, addiction, incarceration, you know, we can add, we can just keep adding to the list and, um, and we just, you know, people don't want to take care of these things because they don't want to think about them happening. That's why they don't. It's too depressing or too scary. And the more, you know, I just, the more we try to protect ourselves, the worse off it is. We try to protect our children from this. Life, death is a part of life. Not everyone is going to experience, you know, a house fire, a job loss, a divorce, but everyone is going to experience a death. Everyone. A birth and a death, possibly. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think that um, we need to just get comfortable with these conversations at a time and talk about them at a time when emotions aren't running high. Talking about them at a time when our brain is able to just like process this stuff in a healthy manner instead of attaching our emotions and feelings to it. It's hard to have this conversation when someone is in the hospital dying and set, you know, uh, attached to uh, life support, right? And, you and the family's all sitting around arguing yeah. about who, yeah. what, what, right. where. It's not the time to have that discussion. It's not the time. It so. should be a time for you all to reach hands together. We know what to do and when this happens, and we will do it. So for now, we're going to be here in love and support and make this a beautiful moment. For each other as well as for your loved one transitioning, yes. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call in my discussions to be present in the moment, to not feel that um that feeling of um not rejection, but the feeling of guilt after I should have said this, I should have done that, I should have phoned, I should have gone around, you know, all of these things. Right. But if you can be present and you don't have those same worries of, oh, God, you know, well, what's her, who's taking the dog and who's taking the cat and how do you get into the house and where's the key? And <laughs> yeah, right. Those are, those are all things that we should be prepared for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and sometimes you think single people are probably worse off because they need to make sure they have that other person there to look after things when they need to. But even in partnerships, whether whatever that looks like, there's usually one that looks after the bills and one that doesn't. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you don't know what the bills are if you're left to look after holding the bag after. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's so many complications that I wanted to take out of the picture. Right. Right. Um, And to be able to enjoy the journey instead of, because we can't change it. No. And we can't keep it from happening again. No. That's what um, a lot of people, you know, they won't live their lives now after something disastrous happens because they think they're protecting themselves from it happening again. Um, I thought that, okay, well, I lost my son. That's the worst thing that could ever happen. So I'm good. 
And then it was, um, oh, who was it? The um, Elizabeth Edwards, John Edwards and Elizabeth Edwards. And I connected to them because they lost a son, right? But then she got breast cancer and died. And that scared me to death. And I thought, oh my God, bad things can still happen to me. Bad things can still happen to me. And I started living my life in a way that I'm trying to protect everything from happening. Well, you're miserable if you're living that way. You're not living. You're not living that way. And that's kind of why I created the my next program, which is Graduating Grief, is because I want to help people that have gone through this to say, listen, this stuff can happen again, but you made it through and you're strong and you can step into living a life on purpose, with passion, with joy. And I was able to do this after losing my son. And I guess they say there's a hierarchy of loss and losing a child is, you know, like the highest. And if I can do this, you can do this too. And I want to show you this. I want to shine the light on hope and healing. You're stronger than you think you are. You cannot protect yourself. You have to accept that these things happen in life, but you're equipped for them to happen. And the next time they happen, it's still going to hurt like hell. Sorry, but yeah. it's going to hurt like anything, but you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay because you've gotten through before and you will get through this again. So why live in a state of trying of misery and worry and trying to protect yourself when there's so much more you can do? You know, I never knew after my son died that I'd be writing a book that I'd be, you know, coaching people, that I would be a motivational speaker, that I would be running workshops that, you know, I thought I was going to be on the Today Show, right? <laughs> but, you know, your life can evolve and it can be a beautiful thing. And had my son and not had this in my son, you know, passing, none of this I would be doing right now. And, you know, a lot of people will say, yeah, but wouldn't you rather have your son? Well, of course, but that was not a choice. No, that's not a choice. I didn't, I can't look at, it wasn't, you act like it was an either or. It wasn't an either or. You don't get to pick. I don't get to pick. So <laughs> they I'm don't not, say, which one do you yeah, want, Carrie? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I would rather have my son. Well, I would too, but I didn't have that choice. So what am I choosing now? And a lot of us won't make that choice. A lot of us won't make any choice. Yeah. I can't help those people. But the people who say, you know what? I don't want to live in my story anymore. This was a chapter of my life. I want to write a new chapter. I want to help you do that. And I don't want to live in fear anymore. Right. I don't want to live in fear. These things, you know, if you can just accept that they happen and, and, we don't have to like that they happen. We can hate that they happen, but they're going to happen. And Somehow. not understand it either. <laughs> yeah. We might. Well, see, that's the thing. I think people get stuck in this cycle of why, why, why me? Why did this happen? Why did this happen again? You know, and when you, when you focus on the why, you will never find your way out. You will never find your way out because you will never get an answer. That's going to be good enough. Even if you had the answer, even if God came down and told you why your son died that day, it's never going to be good enough because you want that child with you, right? Yeah, and you want it reversed. And that's not <laughs> happening. So, Turn back. 
Right. So I always tell people we need to stop asking why and we need to start living in the what now. Why can't give us anything that can help us move forward, but what now opens up the world of possibilities. Oh, that sounds awesome. Um, because grief, of course, comes in so many forms. Did you also research with any individuals about their pets as well? As far as losing a pet? Yeah, did, did that? <laughs> Well, I just lost my beloved pet in January. I'm and, sorry. Um, it threw me for a loop. It threw me for a loop. I mean, I've lost grandparents since then. My dog, it was, it was sudden. My son was a gradual process, right? So um, my dog was the instrument for all the love that I couldn't give my son, right? Because my other son was three and he was not having any of the babying, you know? So this dog, I had attached to him, he had attached to me and it was sudden and it wasn't supposed to happen. You know, he, he was not that old. And, um, and I said, I'm going to go through this fully I'm not holding back. I don't care if my grief makes anyone else uncomfortable. I'm going to experience this fully and I'm going to be vulnerable with it. And I'm going to let people know that I'm not fine. I will also let them know that I will be fine. I knew I would be fine, but for now I'm not. And that's okay. And I think by me publicly going through this grief, Mm -hmm. honestly, and showing people my pain and showing my, showing people that the pain still lasts, even though this happened in January, there are days in March where I still cry. They realize what it does is it triggers a compassion in them. And the way that people showed up to support me and my family and love us through it was beautiful and miraculous. And at the same time, people have told me, my gosh, by you showing me that it's okay to not be okay. I never knew I could do that. I thought I had to let people know that I was fine. You know, I opened up the floodgate to say, you know, I'm, I'm not fine. Today's not a good day. I know I will be fine. Once I do the work, once I, deal with this grief once I feel it instead of run from it, you know, and a lot of times I know as parents, we, we run from it. I would always describe it as I had to put it on the back burner because I needed to take care of my three-year-old, you know, so I didn't fully grieve as I should have, but that's what I want to tell people is that it's very, if you, if you have people in your life that have children at home, Okay, it's very important that they also get the grief support. Their children need it, but so does this person. And a lot of times the mom or the dad won't get the support because they're they're putting it all into their kids. And so someone, can you watch their children or can you take their children out for dinner or can you invite them over to your house to play with your kids so that mom or dad can go to a grief support? or go to a counselor, or go to a psychologist that can help them. Because um, 
we need to we need to deal with this. We need to help each other through this. None of us can get through it alone. Well, you always um, I always think when you're talking like that that it's like Vanessa Bryant with her three kid her three girls lost a daughter as well as Kobe and you know what position she's been put in for losing both. Right. So I know I did my share of crying for her. Oh. <laughs> uh, you can you can you can just imagine you can put yourself in her shoes. Um and she has the resources to, you know, care for herself. A lot of people don't. No. So um that is another thing that you can offer. You can offer someone tuition, you know, in a grief recovery program or in a grief counseling. You know, you can get together as a community and, and make sure that they get the support and help they need. And I would say that to the people that are grieving, allow people to receive, receive it. Open your heart to receive this gift. Because a lot of times we think, well, I can do it alone. I can handle it on my own. But by doing that, you're not allowing people to truly give. You're not allowing people to give. And giving, you know, you feel you feel good when you know that you can help and support someone. Yes. And it you need to accept, receive right. the special gift that... Mm-hmm that you don't just recognize right now because your brain isn't working the right way. Right. 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 Um, is there a time, is there a difference between a pet passing away and a, another type of loss? It depends on how close you are to your pet. I was so close to mine. I mean, I, I get still cried talking about it. I mean, he was my baby and, um, and it is a very real grief and it needs to be recognized. And I think about the people that that is their only vehicle to show love and to receive love. So it could be even more devastating than a personal loss. If you're not close to, you know, an estranged father or, um, you know, and I think about children that are on the spectrum, right? or someone who has a support animal, there's a special bond there that's just as strong as any human bond and maybe even stronger. And we need to recognize that. Back in the days, like in the 50s and 60s, your dog was out in the doghouse. You know, Fido was written over it. But now our dogs sleep with us. Our cats sleep with us. You know, they are family. They are given first, middle, and last names. Um, they have ornaments on the tree. They get clothing. gifts. They have clothing. They, ha you know, I mean, um, and and so we have these bonds that are severed and gone and no longer there. And that grief is just as painful. And one of the griefs that that we haven't even talked about is the grieving we're all doing during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of the anger that we're seeing out in social media and out in the world is an extension of not knowing what to do with this grief because we don't deal with it. 
and it comes out as anger. It comes out as frustration. It comes out as a disruptive child. It comes, you know, it comes out in addiction and alcoholism. It comes out in so many ways because people don't know how to deal with it and address it. Or recognize it. Right. Yes. That's what I also do is try to go into businesses and schools and help um, educate faculty and teachers and employers on this is this is what grief looks like. It's it's not the person in their cubicle crying because they're going to hold it together as long as they can at work. And so you're going to assume that they're fine. But the minute they get into their car, they're going to break down. And they're not going to be okay, you know? So that's why I tell people that sometimes we have to be vulnerable and let other people know we're not okay. We're not okay. And that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, Sherry, I can't believe, I I think we could talk about this all day. Yeah. There are so many types of grief. There is. So many. There is. And I just, I want to encourage people, you know, um, don't shy away from it. It hurts. It's painful. It truly is. But the more you can't get around it, you can't get under it. You can't go over it. You have to get through it, but you can graduate and you can live a life of meaning and purpose and joy and impact. You can, and I'm living proof. And, um, and we just have to, we, we just can't shy away from these things. We have to step out in love. And it was so nice to see John Legend and Chrissy Teigen to come out and talk about their. Right. And, and uh, what, I, it's escaped me for a second to what to call it, but. Uh, yes. Um, and it was just nice to see it. Mm-hmm. out in the public instead of hidden like we're just it's like when we had births in the 70s and 80s you know we went and hid somewhere yeah. the, the girl had to go and hide and then came back out when she after she had the baby and it, it's kind of the same type of feeling I get is is we have to hide it and put it under the rug and and cover it up and not talk about it and it's just so nice that they came out and talked about it. Yes, give it light. And, you know, your journey can help someone else, you know. And and if anything, you know, I always said when I lost, when we lost Brandon, I felt like I was initiated into a club that I never wanted to join ever in a million years. But I was never so thankful for the other members to know, just to know I wasn't alone. Oh, that's nice too. I like that. Because that's what you feel, unfortunately, with grief is the alone and the loneliness. Right. Yeah, I heard the other day, um, and the most important loss is your loss. So don't say, oh, you know, I shouldn't be feeling this way because so many other people have it so worse off. The worst Mm -hmm. loss is your loss. And so honor it. And deal with it and feel it and move through it. Do the work. You're worth it. Right. Oh, that's lovely. Did you have anything else to mention that kind of ended on a really good note? (laughs) 
Oh, no, that's that's fine. If anyone would like to see where they are on their grief journey, I do have a quiz that people can take. It's the graduating grief quiz. And it shows you, you know, how you're charting as far as are you ready maybe to step out into living again. And all you have to do is go to graduatinggrief.com and take the quiz. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's a great start for people to really dictate where they are in their feelings of at that time. Right, right. Absolutely. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you, Sherry, with sharing that with us. Um, so I think everybody, our listeners, we're going to um, start ending it here. I hate to end it because it's a great, great topic. And Sherry is full of information for us today. So thank you again, Sherry, for coming out um, to our podcast this week. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Tina, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Um, so if, um, you know, I'm going to say this again to our backup plan tribe to be prepared for the unexpected because you never know what tomorrow will bring. And it's a perfect time during COVID to reach out to that person that you are thinking of right now, text them, call them, FaceTime them, do whatever it takes and say hello and how are you? Because during COVID, it's changed our world all around the world, actually. And it's a time to reach out to those that you love and care about uh, because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So um, I'm sure that there's quite a few lessons in today's podcast for everybody. I hope that you've been inspired and motivated by Sherry's tips and tricks. Um, she has quite a few up her sleeve. Um, so stay tuned for next week's podcast. I appreciate all of my listeners for coming out today. And I always end with Carol Burnett's song at the end. So um, I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it comes a time we have to say so long. So thank you, Sherry. Thank you, listeners, for today's podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you. Wear a mask, wash your hands, stay safe. Thank you.